In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. A while back, uh, Paul McCartney, former Beatle, was, uh, was being interviewed. Um, it was during a time when some of the Beatles' albums, you remember Platinum? Uh, anyway, some of, some of the Beatles' albums were be con- being converted to CDs. You remember CDs? <laughs> anyway, they were very popular, and uh, so the Beatles were once again rising to the top of the charts. Um, people were waiting in line to get them. Um, I think it was right around the time Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was being released. Anyway, this reporter uh, said, to, uh, said to Paul, um, how must it feel? I mean, it must be exciting now, this many years later, uh, to have your music moving to the top of the charts and even in a medium that didn't even exist when you wrote this music. Um, it must be wonderful. But Paul was not thrilled or excited. In fact, there was a note of sadness in his voice. And he said, you know, back then, we thought we were doing something very special with our music. We thought that we were reaching a whole generation with a new kind of consciousness. And we thought that we were making a statement about places like Africa, We thought a whole generation was listening to us and thinking about things like living in harmony and peace. But now, he said, it is decades later, and Africa is still in the news, and war is still in the news, and racism is still in the news. Maybe 20 years from now, we will read the newspapers, and all this will have changed. But for now... Nothing is different. And I think I understand the sadness in Paul's voice. Don't you? I mean, back then, you know, the Beatles were young. They were naive. Some clearly thought they were misguided. But they really did think a whole generation was listening. And they tried, if only for a moment, to rise above all of the glamour and all of the glitz and do something out of their most basic human instincts, something that would make the world a better place. And now, decades later, we got the same old problems. It's hard to sing your song in a world in which the problems don't go away. I can totally relate to that. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we closed down the Welcome In Day Center for the Homeless. Um, I don't even know how many years it's been now. 55 or 60 homeless people a day, 135 volunteers, 5,000 casseroles, 277 different homeless people over the course of three months. But that's 10 more than last year. It's not like the problem is going away. We're getting ready for uh, this year's crop walk on May 5th. Church World Service, we've been doing this for so long. Church World Service doesn't even send us banners that say 10th anniversary, 20th anniversary. And the truth is, 
We've made a dent in world hunger. We really have. But it's not like the problem has been fixed or that the growing disparity between rich and poor in this country or around the world is making it better. It's hard to continue to sing our song in a world in which the problems don't go away. I heard about this, uh, this church youth group. Uh, every once in a while, the adult leaders and some of the uh, youth leaders, they would get together to sort of plan out the next few months. And uh, so they were asking the kids, what do you want to do? Some said, we want to go sailing. Uh, another said, you know, we want a pizza party. We want to go bowling. And of course, it was all done. It was all planned. But one of the adult advisors said to the youth, you know, we've been, we've been doing a lot of things for ourselves lately. Um, next weekend, we're going to do something for somebody else. So bring a hammer and a paintbrush and dress in comfortable clothes, you know, ones with holes in them that were not designed that way. So what was going on was that a number of churches in the area had organized a project and they were going to send a weekend's worth of young people into one of the needier neighborhoods in the city and they were going to renovate some of the houses that were decaying. Well, the youth weren't particularly excited about this, but they could tell that it, it meant something to some of the adult advisors, so they talked it up a little bit. And there were quite a few of them that showed up that day. And they all piled in the van, and they went down to that neighborhood. And what they found shocked them. I mean, they had seen these houses before as they drove by on the way to anywhere else. But they'd never been in those houses, people living in places with broken windows and and doors that were barely hanging on the hinges, and plumbing that was stopped up, and paint that was peeling off of the ceilings. Well, the kids were inspired. They, they went to work. They hammered, and they scraped, and they painted. And at the end of that weekend, they were proud of themselves. Houses that had looked uninhabitable now looked more respectable. They had done something with their talents and their gifts. They had made the world a better place. So the next year, when it came time for this same project, the youth were not so reluctant. In fact, they talked it up with some of their friends, and, and more of them piled into the van. And they went down to the same neighborhood and the same houses where the windows were broken and the doors were hanging barely on the hinges and the paint was peeling from the ceiling because this was a neighborhood that had no resources and these problems would not go away because of a weekend worth of youth workers. One of the youth sitting on the porch kind of flicking his paintbrush looked at one of the advisors kind of dejectedly and said, I don't want to do this next year. It's hard 
to keep singing our songs in a world in which the problems don't go away. And part of the reason I think that is true is because we give ourselves in service to other people, but we measure the effectiveness of that service by how successful we are at fixing the problem. I'm willing to give of myself to other people. I want to make a dent in some human problem, but I want it to count. I want to be able to fix something. One of the things I think I have learned growing up at the end of the baby boom generation and having been part of all that idealism that was so much alive when I was the age of some of those youth, we really were going to change the world, just as McCartney said. And one of the saddest things as I have gotten older is watching that idealism turn to cynicism. So we are appropriately, my generation, known as the me generation. And our country has now become so self-focused. What happened? Well, in part, I think we couldn't fix it. And so many of us just gave up and we gave in. Tom, a colleague of mine, a while back was returning home from a vacation um, and uh, one of his friends picked him up at the airport and almost immediately uh, said that another friend of theirs, a mutual friend, had died while he was away. That's impossible, Tom said. He was healthy when I left. Things were fine. I know, the friend said. His heart just stopped beating. There was nothing anyone could do about it. Tom thought immediately of their friend's wife, now a widow with two young children. He thought to himself, I need to go and see her. But I won't go tonight because I got to get over the shock myself. I'll go tomorrow. And so tomorrow came, and he thought to himself, you know, she probably has a lot of visitors today. I'll wait till tomorrow when she needs me more. And tomorrow came, and he thought to himself, you know, I really wasn't that close to her. It was him I was close to. Maybe I'll just run into her on the street, and I'll, I'll ask how she's doing. So he didn't go. He asked how she was doing. How's Mary doing, he said to their mutual friend. Oh, about as well as can be expected. I saw her last night. She asked for you. Asked for me. What did she say? Oh, nothing special. I just think she would have liked to see you. But he didn't go. He couldn't fix it, you see? So he didn't go. You know what I think? I think one of the hardest challenges for us as Christians is to learn how to live and serve and be compassionate in a world where the problems don't go away. This week, 
this holy week is sort of our annual reminder that you and I, we live in a Good Friday world. We live in a cross-shaped world where we can't always fix it. And that brings us to the heart of one of the stories that Chris read to us this morning. We are now in the final week of Jesus' life, and he is going to die. He's going to die a bloody and an agonizing death. And no one can fix that. It's not that people didn't try. You remember, he and the disciples are on their way to Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, good old impetuous Peter, blurts out, I'll tell you who I think you are. You are the Christ. Hey, look, we found him. Here is the Christ. And Jesus says, yes. And that means that I am going to have to suffer and be rejected, and I am going to die before I rise. Oh, no, said Peter. Let's fix that. You can be the Christ if you want, but how about if we do it not in a very messy way? And you remember Jesus. Get behind me. Satan, you're standing in the way of God. And in fact, all those who follow this master will be called on themselves to carry their own crosses, which means being prepared to serve in a cross-shaped world in which the problems don't go away. And now we're in Simon's house, and the winds of evil outside are picking up, and the forces are gathering that will take Jesus' life, and nobody can fix it. But inside the house, there is at least one disciple who discerns what is going on. She is a woman, and she sees what is happening. You understand? Because she is a woman, she sees what is happening. Because she is used to living her life under the mastery of somebody else's control. Learning how to live and be human and to exercise freedom within the constraints that life gives you. She is a woman and therefore she sees and her only defense against the forces that are gathering now is one little bottle of perfume. She cannot stop Jesus' death, but she can acknowledge it for what it is. And so she breaks open that bottle and she pours the richness over his head, at once embracing his suffering, anointing him for his death, and perhaps at the same time anointing him as Christ, the anointed one. She did what she could. For most of us, the choices would have been to do nothing or to fix it. But she discerned that there is another way of being a disciple, somewhere between the passivity of doing nothing and the arrogance of fixing it, 
she could discern what God was doing in that moment and she could use her resources to be a part of that process. And that's what she did. And it was a beautiful thing. She did what she could. And of course, the scoffing began almost immediately. Why did she do that? You wasted it. You could have spent the money on the poor and made a dent in poverty. We have problems that we want to fix. To which Jesus replied, the poor you always have with you. You don't fix that. When you wake up in the morning, the poor are there. When you break bread at noon, the hungry are right at your door. When you go to sleep at night, the homeless are crying out for justice. You don't fix it. And those who follow me will always be in ministry to the poor and the suffering because I give my life for those who are most in need. And that is what is happening here. And she has discerned that. She did what she could. There was a man in the supermarket one day. He was pushing his cart up one of the aisles, and he happened to see a mother and her young son coming towards him in the opposite direction. And you know how this works. You see somebody in the first aisle, you're going to see them uh, pretty much on every one of the aisles. Um, he noted each time he saw the mother and the son, they were playing some sort of game. The son would grab the grocery list from her hand. He would see what was next on the list, and then he would run off to that part of the store um, to find it. And he would carry it back to her almost like a trophy, and he would present it to her while she applauded. And then he would put it in the cart, and he would grab the list, and the whole thing would repeat again. And the man was envious. I mean, here they're taking the drudgery of shopping, and they're making it into a game. And he was so fascinated by this that he didn't notice for a while that the son was mentally challenged. She caught him staring at them, and he was a little embarrassed. I was just admiring your relationship with your son. Yes, she said. He's a gift from God. She could not do everything. She could not make him well. She could have done nothing. But with all the love that a mother has, she did what she could. To do nothing says that there is no God. To presume that we can do it all says that we are God. To discern what God is doing and then give what we have to that process, that is faith. She did a beautiful thing. And Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what she did will be told in her memory, as it has been this morning. Amen.